0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. My name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the creator of the Conversation of Our Generation, the host of the podcast, and today we'll be talking about abortion, largely due to the fact that there's a lot of this popping up right now in the news. I want to talk a little bit about the bills and what's going on there, but I mostly want to talk about this debate and how to have a rational conversation about it because, you know, I been looking, I've looked on Facebook, even though I generally don't go on there or Twitter or whatever. And you know, everybody is just talking about this thing and it's Pat and everyone's passionate about it because it's a hot topic and it's a very uh, emotional topic. And so people don't always settle down and walk through arguments with each other on this. So I want to try to do that on both sides of the aisle so that we can come to at least a little bit of an understanding of where the other person's coming from and know You know the flaws and in what they might be saying at the time, because we you kind of have a better understanding what the arguments that they're trying to make are, and asking being able to ask the questions to get to understand what the other person really believes, because there's also a big spectrum of what people believe on both sides of the aisle, and what they call themselves, whether they call themselves pro-choice or pro-life, doesn't always align up with what the beliefs of those two sides are, so before we get too far though I do want to say uh, that you can find me on Twitter at con of our Gen, Facebook, uh, dot facebookcom slash conversation of our generation and you can also find me on iTunes subscribing there and uh, leaving a review good review and five star rating really helps so if you just search conversation of our generation and I uh, in the iTunes store then you'll be able to find me there as well and obviously you can go to conversation of our generation com to find more blogs podcasts Um, videos, all sorts of stuff there that I've put up and on a range of topics from religion to art, to science, to philosophy and history and all that. So if you'd like to go check that out, that's a good little resource as well for you. And the last thing before we uh, get into the quote of the week is I just want to stop and remind us that since yesterday was Memorial Day, um, that, you know, It's a great time to remember and to honor the men and women who are serving our country right now fighting and for most importantly to all the men and women who've given their lives serving for our country, serving our country and helping us to, you know, stay free. And I know that I can be critical of the wars that we fight and the, what the politicians do in that regard, but that doesn't come down to the men and women who are out there on the front lines. Doing all the things that you know, being a soldier and being the person that stands up and says that they're willing to sacrifice everything so that we can be free, that we can be here and you know, continue to enjoy our way of life because it's not just our safety and our security, it's really the amazing life that we get because, to live because of it, and so that's a big part of, uh, our race weekend or our Memorial day weekend. We go to the race and that's, it is awesome to see the servicemen and women there. And, um, and so it's a incredible, incredible thing. And if you haven't ever been to the Indy 500, it's an amazing thing. And all of the festivities leading up to the race actually, uh, revolve around the, the military and those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice so I just want to say thank you to anyone out there listening who's served in the armed forces and and for anyone who is a part of a military family as well thank you for helping them be able to do that and so thank you to our armed forces and thank you to their families thank you to all the people who allow us to live the lives that we do, and to be free, and to be still the freest country in the world, so thank you. Let's go ahead and hop into the quote of the week here, and this one is from someone who in the media is portrayed as, uh, not as, hmm, not as hardcore Catholic as he is, really, and, um, And he's often just misportrayed, have quotes pulled out of context. But I think this one's pretty clear. And I think it was interesting to see him taking such a harsh stance on abortion. Because, you know, he's portrayed to be sort of wishy-washy on a lot of things. And so this one's from Pope Francis, and he says, Abortion isn't a lesser evil, it's a crime. Taking one life to save another, that's what the mafia does. It's a crime, it's an absolute evil. And... I think that that's a very strong way to put it, but I think it's obviously true if you believe what Catholics believe, then it logically follows that it's a horrible thing to do to commit an abortion that, or to, to go in and kill another human being that has done nothing wrong, that is completely innocent simply because it's, you know, it's inconvenient to have a baby right now because it, you know. Even if you're saying, I think that he's going to grow up to be, you know, a criminal or whatever, it's not something that we know. It's not something that we're supposed to uh, judge. That's not for us to say, you know, and, and that's for the life for the child to create, you know. And so it is a, <clears throat> it is a thing that I think is important to recognize that the Catholic Church's stance on it is that to take one life to save another is a crime. And because that's the big argument even, and that's the, you know, some of those rare cases that they put out there. And I'll talk about this in a minute, but the Catholic stance is that you, know, you can do anything you need to, to treat the mother. And if it results in losing, you know, the, the baby, then, then that's one thing, but because you're doing something morally good and treating a person and healing them, right. If you're giving someone radiation treatment for their cancer or whatever it is and but if you are out there and you're taking the life to save the mother then that's actually not uh allowed under catholic teaching um as far as what they i don't know if i think that's something that is uh, i'm not sure what level of church church teaching that is actually but i do know that that is what the church teaches And so he really holds the line in this quote. And I do, I'm proud of Pope Francis for that and for standing up for this, but it's definitely an important thing to understand that I think where pro lifers are coming from when they talk about this is that it's you, you can't have, you can't do something evil to achieve a good end. I mean, then there's no limit to what we can't do. I mean, that's, what the Nazis said they were doing, that's what, you know, communism said, you know, you had to break a few eggs to make an omelet, you know, that's, and and so it's hard to say that that's something that you can defend, uh, uh, in my opinion, that you'd allow the utilitarian argument to trump the argument in favor of the value of human life, and if you, anyone who makes that, you open your door, the door to, really any, uh, anything that you can do to, for as long as it saves 51% of the people instead of 49, then anything is allowed. But before I go too far off on that, let's go ahead and hop into some of the arguments here at play. And so I want to talk about the pro-life argument and, um, and so, because I think that it's, the one that I know better, and it's the one that I can explain a little bit better. But I think it kind of hangs on two assertions, and the first is that life begins for a new human being at the point of conception, and the other is that all human beings are persons whose lives are infinitely valuable. And so, there's kind of two camps of the pro-choice movement there that kind of uh, disagree with one of those, or sometimes both of those, um, sometimes the other one of those. So there's kind of different arguments against this because I think it is disjointed a little bit. Whereas I think the pro-life argument, even though there's people who maybe would say that in the case of who call themselves pro-life, but in the case of rape and incest or in the case of the mother's life or whatever it is, that they can make an exception, you know, I think that they're the rare ones and they're actually, <laughs> it's tougher to, it's, it's very tough to defend that position when they get down into the nitty gritty. Now there's different, uh, explanations of prudence for, you know, that they can maybe get into that would be different. Um, so there's that, but so the first assertion, uh, you know, it, it takes two things to talk about it, which is is this a human being, you know, what, and that's, you know, that's a pretty easy thing to determine. <laughs> is it human? Yes. And does it exist? Yes. So, you know, is it's a human being at that point because, you know, and, and I got into a discussion with someone about this saying that a fetus is not a human being. And I'm like, well, let's, I tried to get the person to tell me what, this thing inside the mother is besides a human being and they could not explain it to me they're like it's like if this or that and I'm like okay so it's like a if a cat was he said I forget exactly it's like if a cat was pregnant it wouldn't be a cat and they're like well what is it then like a snail or you know or he's like if it's a if a, a seed's not alive until it sprouts and I'm like sure but that's not how humans reproduce so that's totally just different (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, I would agree because the equivalent of a seed almost in people is, you know, the egg cell or the sperm cell, you know, those are kind of your seeds. And when they conjoin together, or when, they conjoin, when they combine together, they create, you know, a new entity. It's a whole new being. It's not a sperm cell or an egg cell. It's a cell with 46 chromosomes instead of 23, which is how many chromosomes people have. It has DNA and You know, it has the DNA, whether it's going to be a man or a woman when it grows up, it has the DNA, you know, it has everything that you need to be a human being DNA wise, biologically it's alive. You know, it's, it fills all six or eight characteristics of life. So it's a living, you know, it's a, it's a human being, right. That is alive or it's a human that's alive. And the being part simply means that it's something that bees, it exists. And we know that to be true. I mean, That's a big part of why I think there was a misconception in older times (laughs) with religion that when they couldn't see that the being was actually there. You know, they didn't really know that there was a being alive in there until, you know, maybe the mother started showing more or the baby started kicking or they could see like when miscarriages happened, you know, what the baby looked like at certain points along the way. And so it's tougher until modern science to really understand that. And so now it's very obvious that there is a being inside you because, I mean, so here's the other thing too, is a being is not a person. That's two separate things. A being is a rock is a being, a lamp is a being, you know, so you could have beings that, you know, are just inanimate objects. You could have a tree, a cat, a dog, all those things are beings, anything that exists you know, and that's why it's important to understand that, you know, a human being doesn't necessarily mean I'm talking about a person. I'm talking about a human being. It's a, something that exists that is human. The word person is actually where the religion and philosophy come in. And because the reason why I think human being requires a little bit of philosophy is if you understand, you know, the two parts that, The being is the fact that this thing that's inside the mother, we'll call it a thing for now, but this, there's something inside the mother that exists. So that's the being part, whether it's a rock or a seed or whatever, that's being. And the human part comes from the nature of that being, which is, you know, what is this, you know it's tougher to say, but it's, what is this being like? And what is its characteristics? And so it's a living being, right? Because it fulfills all eight characteristics of life. It's human because it has every aspect of being human from the beginning. I mean, it's got everything. So, I mean, it's not anything else, you know? And so that's the other thing too, is when people deny that, I'm like, well, just give me an answer on what else this could be that's not human. And if they can't give you an answer, if they just say fetus, well, look up the word fetus and it just means offspring. (laughs) So, you know, I wouldn't, I would say you could call children offspring. You could call, you know, anything, you know, any, your children or your next generation of people that come from you are offspring always. So it's not, it's not a different word. So just throwing that out there as well, but that, uh so the first one there, like I said, requires science a little, I mean, understanding like, you know, ninth grade biology, maybe, maybe even younger, (laughs) but you probably want the ninth grade level, you know, just to make sure you're good. And then, you know, some philosophy to understand what those words mean, what it means to have a certain nature, what it means to be a being. (laughs) And, uh, and then the latter is much more religious with a grounding in philosophy as well, but Or just, um, I think sometimes a convoluted, atheistic idea of trying to prove the value of human life, which I think don't normally hold up, but they try to make them a lot. And so the argument um, in favor of the fact that all human beings are persons whose lives are infinitely valuable starts in Genesis when it says that We're made in God's image and likeness. And that's a lot to unpack, but it means, you know, if we're made in the likeness of the creator of the universe, infinitely valuable, infinitely amazing, you know, eternal God, infinitely amazing being, um, then if we're made in that likeness, you know, it's even if we're a hundredth as um, a thousandth, a millionth, a billionth as valuable on this earth, then we're still infinitely valuable, and that's an important thing to understand, that there's, you know, because of the, I mean, it's a really a religious belief, I will give you that, that we do have to respect one another for purposes beyond just, like, the evolutionary psychologist sort of reasons, and some of those things, you know, that are the These are the useful ways of doing it. You know, you can't make a useful argument in favor of a moral good or a moral evil, and when because a moral evil or a moral good points towards a perfect a perfection. Uh, You know, there has to be if there's a morally good, then there has to be morally perfect. And what is that morally perfect? Well, that's the God, that's the creator of the universe. And so, when we get into the realm of morality, I think you do have to have a discussion on that part that, you know, it does require that there is moral perfection to have moral good. And if I think this is a moral good, I think that people having worth and value is a moral good. I think that they, everyone deserves to be, you know, respected beyond just, you know, the utilitarian argument that they are an infinitely valuable human being from, birth till death and beyond death even, then, sorry, from, wow, from conception till death and even beyond, see, I'm over here reading my notes and messing stuff up, but, um, the fact of the matter is that this is, uh, this is a tough one to really get out there and five, ten minutes, and it's also a tough one to get out there in a Facebook argument, but I think that the question that you have to ask is if all humans have rights, because you can't pick and choose which humans have rights, because as soon as you start doing that, then you can ask, well, why can't, why can we not take rights away from this person, or that person, or, right, and, you know, so, so if, if I to have this conversation with someone who I just, dis, who disagrees with me, I would ask, you know, well, is it okay to, you know, take away the rights? Do the mother's rights usurp her children's rights when she's one or two? Like, when does the child start to have equal rights to its mother? And if a lot of times we'll say birth or some other arbitrary line. It's like, okay, well, why do you pick that one? Because I have a hard and fast line that, and this kind of also goes back to when they become a human being too, because that's generally when people are like, oh, now it's human. So it counts like it, now it has a heartbeat or it breathes in the womb or whatever it is. So that is, um, so that to me is the two things that it hangs on is that if people disagree with the pro-life position, other than like an emotional disagreement for rape and incest or, you know, something along those lines, that's a different disagreement that you have to deal with. And, but if anyone has a disagreement with the premises, it is either that it's a human being at the point of conception or that it's, and that all human beings are persons whose lives are infinitely valuable. And so those are the two ones that I think are important to really put forward and say, because of these two things, I believe that it is always wrong to commit abortion. And then after that, it's kind of a, uh, New discuss- And then the discussion's all downhill from there because those are your two main things and you can figure out where, where people disagree and ask questions from there. The pro-choice side has a couple camps on this debate as far as I can tell. And so there's one that will say that what is inside the mother is not a human being or alive until a certain point. So, you know, that allows the mother to kill her child whenever until a certain point. And the other uh, states that it is a life, but the well-being of the mother should be held over the child's life, generally because they deny the second part, that all people have an infinite value. It's not... they. There's like the <clears throat> book uh, Freakonomics and a couple others that will just argue that it's better to have abortion because then you can improve the lot of people overall because of these utilitarian arguments. And so we have to allow it. And then there's also really another one that I don't have here in my notes right now, but it just came to mind of the kind of the Peter Sanger school of thought who's, he's a professor of philosophy and I don't think a very good one, (laughs) but he does have a logical consistency here on this, that he says, because the he says that life begins when you are basically conscious of other. You're able to what full, like fully sentient. I think is what he says. I think that's the phrase he uses. Which it turns out then that you're not fully alive until you're about two years old or so. So like newborn infants, he's in he's like which would obviously lead to the fact that he's okay with infanticide and several other, uh, you know, very, very late stage abortions, (laughs) to say the least, I guess, (laughs) but, yeah, basically, um, he's okay with murdering a child that is born, so there is that school as well, and I, I've kind of laid out my arguments, and I think that my arguments went out against these in the past, but there are a lot of questions that I think people could ask people, a lot of places that when you talk about uh, abortion with people on the other side of the aisle, these are some of the issues that I think will come up. And so for the people who say that the mother's not a human being or alive until a certain point, I mean, like I said, with my debate that I had, this was kind of the side this person came from. And I just would ask, you know, well, what is it? When does this happen? When, you know, Because I, you know, I, I hold fast. I'm like, conception, here's why. You know, can you give me a better argument then? Like, and so, like, I'm like, here's the science behind it. Here's this. Okay. And so what's, I don't see the difference here. And, and so now it's up to them to say, okay, well, I disagree with you. I think it starts here. Or I, you know, because if, if they just say, well, that's not when it starts, then now they have to say when it starts, you know, when, when does that, um, become a life? Cause I made an assertion and they're saying they made a counter assertion and said, no, that's not true. Well, now you have to make an argument in favor what the true thing is there then. Uh, and so, uh, that's a, that's really a tough thing. I, generally, I feel like you just have to walk to the scientists or look at the science and, look at really what scientists believe on this, a lot of, doc- I mean, doctors really don't disagree. I mean, like, even abortionists will say, you know, I'm taking a human being out of, you know, I'm, if they're honest, <laughs> they know that what that's what they're doing. And so, you know, maybe not everyone who works at the desk at Planned Parenthood knows that, but you know, the people who are doing what they do, yeah, they know. And so I think it's important to recognize that. And so you can also appeal to, um, to credibility with, you know, looking at the medical field and showing what they say about it because they're pretty clear about when life begins generally. Um, except for abortion facilities who like to muddle that and hide it so that they don't have to, um, uh, talk about that stuff as much. and. Um, the other one that says that it is a life, but the well-being of the mother should be held over the life is a tough one because now you're generally into an emotional argument because the first one really is a scientific one. This one is kind of more going at the second part and you're like, what's really happening I think a lot of times is people are like, I see this woman here in front of me and I can talk to her and interact with her. And then there's this thing inside of her that it, you know, I, I can't interact with. I don't know anything about it. I can't, you know, talk to this baby, you know, and if she dies, then, you know, there's up until a very, you know, till the point of viability, which is getting earlier and earlier, you know, this thing dies well, well, so what does it you know really matter? Well, I think that we have to step back and say when can we use this argument again? I mean, you could say that with a two-year-old or a teenager, you know, this now somewhat, I mean, obviously you can interact with the teenager and you can, once you see the teenager, the two-year-old there, they are very, very real to you, but that doesn't undermine the fact that you could improve a mother's well-being by getting rid of her kids sometimes. I mean, trust me, I'm one of, uh, three boys in the family I'm pretty sure there were days where you know us not being around would have been a heck of a lot better day for my mom you know but that doesn't change the fact that you know she loved us or whatever we were just being buttheads. <laughs> um but and I don't think she ever had the inclination to kill us either but I know that she's probably ready to ship us off to granny's house someday so that she could have a day to herself and um and so but and also I mean the well being if you're saying that it's okay to get rid of your kid because you know, I wanna be able to afford a nicer car and a bigger house, I mean that's that's pretty sick. I mean just imagine saying that. Like, you know, I have a four year old who's about to go off to preschool and I wanna have to pay for the preschool and if I do that then well I'll have to downsize my you know, I'll have to cut back some expenses and I won't be able to eat out as much and I might have to move into a, a, like, a little less nice house. So I'm just going to kill my four-year-old instead. Like, no one would think that's okay, right? But all of a sudden when you can't see a four-year-old in front of you, you're talking about a quote-unquote clump of cells inside the mother, then you have a much bigger issue. As for the people who say that it's okay to kill someone who isn't sentient I just think that's a ridiculous argument (laughs) I mean it's it it logically follows from where he that but I think that that line is just so silly and arbitrary because you know if you can kill anyone that's not conscious then you can kill you know just about anyone when they're asleep and so I mean it just uh it's just tough to have that hold up plus I don't understand how something being alive uh, I guess the recognition that uh, I think he does of science that life begins at conception that the actual life happens then I I don't know how you can try to hold up a moral moral order and not have that uh, just be not okay so I don't know but there's not too much, there's not too many people who hold to that, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. And I also don't know that argument as well, because I've really only heard, haven't really heard him convey it, and so I'm not as sharp on it as I am on some of the other ones that you just see more often. And now I'd like to just spend the last few minutes here, now that we've kind of gone through both sides of the argument, talking about the political side of this situation because I think this is an important part of the debate that people don't really think about too much and that is that uh you know Roe v Wade and the way it was decided had has really I think hurt our country in a lot of ways because this debate was being had at the state level at local levels and people were you know talking it out and making laws that went on the books through the right processes to, you know, make it a legal or illegal. And I think that that's, uh, hmm. that's just, uh, not the best. I mean, I still think that abortion's is wrong, even if it's legal in one state, not in another, but it's at least okay that the people who are trying to understand this situation and govern themselves are able to make those laws that govern themselves. And I think that the other, you know, if I was in a state that has it, what had it, where it was legal, I would be fighting to make it illegal like I am at the national level now. But I do think that having it in the States is a better way than having nine justices, you know, stand up there and make new laws out of nowhere by saying that whether you find it in the ninth amendment for the, it's not an exact quote, but basically the people's right to govern themselves in the ninth amendment or the 14th amendment for equal, you know, that guarantees equal standing under the law. Um, which by the way, before those, those, uh, amendments were both in place before abortion laws were even on the books anywhere. So obviously that was not the thought that people had. And, and really the state of abortion before Roe v. Wade was not what people make it out to be either. And that's the other thing that I didn't really mention up above. But they have stats out there that, you know, thousands of women were dying every year from back alley abortions. And it's simply not true. The person who popularized that idea um, has come out and said he made it up. Um, He was part of, I forget, the organization. And he has actually become pro-life. And has come out saying that that's not true, what he was saying there. And so, uh, I think that really what should happen with Roe v. Wade is that it should fall under the Tenth Amendment, where the states have the right to make laws about matters that aren't concerning. uh, that The states are allowed to make laws that, you know when the federal government is not permitted to do something. The states are allowed to govern themselves beyond what the federal government is. And so I think that's really, really where that falls. And it's, I don't care if you think that abortion is right or wrong. I think that if you read Roe v. Wade and if you understand the way our system is supposed to work, you should think that that's wrongly decided. And you should think that that's dangerous for your side as well. You know, because right now everyone's freaking out because it could be overturned. And that could change the equation for them a lot all like suddenly, but that's basically what happened to the pro-life side when, you know, Roe v. Wade was instituted, just the court said, here's a new law and accept it. And the people, especially ever since then have been going further and further towards the pro-life side. And so I think we have to be, Wary of that, and realize that we shouldn't have justices deciding law. We should have our legislators doing that. You know, our president signing the law into order, and and then the justices being able to apply the law to different situations. Then, and that's how we should run as a system, but we're not at the moment, and that's or. Not necessarily, but in the on this case, at least, we're not running that way. Um, and so, I think we have to recognize that that's not the way that we should govern this country, and to govern these people, uh, are that's not the right way. And so, I think that the reason why I wanted to do this is I do want to talk about the political climate here on this, and it's because I want us to remain calm, be able to have conversations with... Whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, and I, you know, if you are pro-choice, I'd like to hear from you in the comments and understand where you're coming from. If I miss some of the arguments out there, uh, I obviously only have forty minutes, so ish is how long I keep this podcast too. So, um, I'd like to hear from you if there's something that I missed or something that you know I didn't cover. Or you think you can persuade me on? Sure, I want to hear it. And but it's important to ask the questions and to. Make anyone debating, like, say what, like, say what they mean. Define it, I mean. Define what they mean. And, because they can use terms and, you know, and you may not be under the same understanding of what that term is. And, listening to people to understand them. Stating your case as best you can. You know, those are all important things that when you're having these one-on-one conversations, I think that that's what, um, that's what we need to look at. And, these bills are probably going to go up and challenge Roe v. Wade, and I'm no constitutional scholar, but I do know that this is, a, this is a fight that has something to it. I don't know if it'll go all the way through based on what I've been hearing from people who are a little bit better at that than I am, you know, who, who do have, who are constitutional scholars, and also people who you know, know the political scene better, and who have looked through the cases of the, especially uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, because we, and really Roberts, who knows what he'd do either, but, so there's that. So, we don't know, really, what the outcome will be, but I do think that that's why people are so up in arms over this, And, and I really just would like to see us get back to a point here where we can start to have this conversation and we can have it at the local level with, like without, because I think so much of what creates animus in our country is I have Hollywood celebrities, you know, in their ivory tower telling me how, you know, Indiana should govern itself under this law or having Alabama or Georgia, especially in Ohio, the places that are passing these laws, you know, diving into them and saying, this is what you can and can't do with your state it's just ridiculous. And so I think they're just kind of like, you know, you know where you can stick it ladies. Cause we don't want to hear what you have to say. Uh, uh, what's her name? Alyssa Milano and people like that. And that are just, I don't know, telling everyone else the way they need to live. The only thing that I want to tell them is just stop telling me what to do. <laughs> stop telling us how to live out here and, you know, halfway across the country from you and as for the political climate I'd like to see what happens with these bills and whether you know I've seen a i have seen I think since we've last talked that one of them has gotten passed and signed into law I think the other ones have are kind of bouncing through the houses uh, the state legislatures a little bit but the We'll see how it goes. I'm interested to see what happens and how it plays out, but I would like to see something here happen that allows for states to be able to regulate themselves more and to restrict things more. So hopefully that's uh, Something that comes along very soon. That's my hope at least And before we sign off here, I do want to apologize, last week I had some technical difficulties with the recording software that I used, and the fact that I had no more space on my laptop, so I had to get some stuff fixed on it, and I was, not, get some, I had to clean off a bunch of stuff and fix a couple things, and I was able to get it back up and running for this week, but because of the weekend and everything, I wasn't able to sit down and record the podcast later on in the week, and maybe just get something up for you, so th- I did miss last week, but I will continue with regular scheduled programming, um, and sorry for the lack of communication on that, but thank you for bearing, with, bearing it with me, and so, the reason why I did choose this topic this week is because of its prominence in the chaotic debate all across Facebook and Twitter and everything that I see. And so I wanted to find a way for us to be able to have this rational discussion and carry this conversation. And hopefully we can, it'll be given back to us, to the people to have this decision and to make this decision instead of nine oligarchs on a bench telling us what's right and wrong. I would like to have us have a democratic process here and see what's going on and see what people think and what's the right way to handle this. And I think these bills are doing that. I think they're getting people to think differently. I think that from a prudential side, I've heard some people say they go too far. I think that that's, I think the farther they go, the better, because the the farther they go, the more likely it is that we're going to see things really shake up. I mean, you have to take a hard line. If they just did little bills about nothing, then it wouldn't have made the news. We wouldn't be talking about this. We wouldn't say, Hey, this is the time for pro-life people to make their argument and at least correct a horrible decision on the Supreme court. (laughs) Possibly one, I mean, probably one of the worst. And I've read the 20 biggest ones that changed America and it was one of the bottom three on there for sure. And that's only because Dred Scott was on there as well. And I forget the other one that, but, and Chevron. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely up there. I'd say that there's probably worse than Chevron though, because of who it affects and how it affects people. But with all of that being said, I would like to just have this discussion so that we can look to our neighbors to have this talk to, look to you know the people around us to say here how do we want to live our lives and what do we want to hold up as you know our what do we want our values to be as a community that's really what this quest the question of um self-governance is about about not having this be something that the supreme court decides, but that's something we decide locally that's what it's about is what do we want our community's values to be who do we want to be as a community and allowing people to have that, be able to answer that question again is a good thing. And so I'm happy that this is happening right now. And I'd like, I'm interested to see where it goes and uh, maybe we'll do something else about this soon as it progresses, but it'll take a little while before it gets to the Supreme court and all of those things. So we will for now leave it here. And so thank you for listening to the conversation of our generation. If you like what I had to say today, just go to Facebook.com slash Conversation of Our Generation or Twitter at Con of gen to let me know to find out more about, you know, have a conversation maybe about this topic. Um, or you can go to uh, iTunes and you can find me there by searching Conversation of Our Generation and you can go to ConversationofOurGeneration.com to contact me. Uh, if you go to the contact page there, you can leave me a note. You can... Leave. you can there's comments that are open there as well so you can always leave a comment too and I thank you guys for listening to another episode of the conversation on our generation let's get the dialogue going and I'll talk to you next week